Welcome to Morning Ireland Extra with me, Lisa Pereira. Every day, our reporters gather material for stories that we then broadcast on our daily Morning Ireland radio programme. This podcast brings you deeper into those stories. Kian McCormack, I wanted to talk to you about the situation for families with loved ones in hospital. It's a story you were reporting on for Morning Ireland, and it comes in the context of increased COVID restrictions imposed on Dublin and Donegal, with other counties looking vulnerable as well. And already, the HSE's CEO, Paul Reid, has warned of a winter like no other. That's tough listening for many families, especially those who were locked out from visiting loved ones in hospital for weeks at the start of the pandemic. Now, some of them are saying visitor restrictions need to be looked at in advance of any further potential hospital lockdowns. Kian, the call came from a woman in West Cork. Who is she? Well, Lisa, her name is Mary McCarthy from Garrettstown near Kinsale in County Cork. Her husband, 67-year-old Jimmy McCarthy, had a severe stroke at the end of February. And at that point, hospitals were not locked down. But two weeks after Jimmy went into hospital, the family didn't get to see him for another 11 weeks because of COVID-19 visiting restrictions. So 11 weeks, they didn't get to see him at all during that time? Well, they saw him on telephone video calls facilitated by hospital staff, but it was 11 weeks before they saw him in the flesh, so to speak. And that was through a window from a stepladder. I'll let Mary McCarty tell the story. Uh, We were uh, working in our own business and life was very normal and a very normal day. And uh, I saw my husband drive in that evening at 6.30 and everything was perfect. And uh, the next time I saw him, he was on the floor. At, that was at seven thirty, and he had it looked. It appeared like he had a stroke. Uh, I immediately rang the nine 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 service, and the minute I mentioned stroke, everything seemed to take off. I was aware of this fast system that was there, which worked almost immediately in no time at all. We had an ambulance, a brilliant crew turned up, and they had him on the trolley and asking me would I go with him. And uh, we went, the speed that we went up to the hospital was incredible. They were taking the details en route. Uh, we went straight through A&E. The doors were open for us. It was like something in a movie. And we were straight through into Catskin. And from the time I made the call at half past seven up and at half past nine, he was out of the Catskin and he was going in to get um, a class removed from his brain. Now, it was a very serious plot and there was a very it was very critical but there was a possibility that the clot could be removed and the doctor came in that evening on call and he did it but uh, after the procedure which was at roughly at 10 o'clock uh, he came out and he told us that he had tried and tried but he was unable to reverse the stroke and that Jimmy it appeared had a very serious stroke and that they would be moving him up into the stroke unit in the hospital. That was February 20th and yes. it was before COVID-19 restrictions. You were able to visit Jimmy initially, were you? Yes, that night 
for the first fortnight he was in a critical situation. That night the consultant came out and told us that Jimmy had a uh, devastating stroke. It affected the left side of his brain, which would make his right side paralyzed. There was a possibility that he wouldn't have speech and that there was uh, he was critical and he may uh, he may die. They told us that to hope for the best, be prepared for the worst. And we had a son. We have a son abroad, and it probably would be better just ask him if he needed to come home. The stroke he got, one percent of the stroke. People that get strokes, only 1% get this type of stroke, which is the most serious stroke you can get. And a lot of these stroke people die, but hope they had hoped that Jimmy would make a recovery, but he would have a very, he would have serious disabilities. So in that first two-week period when you were visiting Jimmy, did he recognise you? What state was he in at that stage? Uh, the first uh, week uh, he didn't uh, recognize us it was um, it, it, like he was he wasn't really with us I suppose the second week he began to recognize us and he he wasn't speaking but we at that stage we had put a rota in place where we would go in and turn to be with him which we thought was very important that he'd see a face that he'd once he'd recover that he'd see it recognize the face and uh, so uh, we were in someone was with him most of the time for the first two weeks but things changed on the 5th of march covid19 took center stage and visitor restrictions were introduced to hospitals that had an impact on you and your family what happened from that point the 5th of march will be in our minds forever because uh, it was on that day uh, I uh, suggested to Jimmy, uh, would he like uh, to have a priest present? And he did, because uh, he, he, I think he didn't think he was going to survive himself. And our local priest went in that day and sat with him. And he started, uh, when the priest came out, he told us that Jimmy recited prayers with him. Now, this was the first time that we knew that Jimmy could actually speak and we were amazed and we couldn't believe that this had happened. But when we spoke to the consultant afterwards, she said it, it, there's nothing wrong with his memory. It, 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 the prayers took him back to a memory and he was able to recite the prayers. So our 5th of March was a brilliant day. It was the first sign that there was something positive and that he had his memory. And we were going to go from there. And I left that time and another daughter went in instead of me. And another member of the family was going in at seven. And when she arrived at the hospital, the signs were up, no visitors. Uh, the, the girl that was inside, she stayed inside at night until 11 because that was actually probably the first time we were aware of even the virus because our two weeks prior to then, we were totally taken in with what was happening in our own family and ignored what was in the outside world. So on the 5th of March, with the first sign of recovery with Jimmy, we had, my daughter walked out that door and we were locked out. Uh, from there, then we had to, de- I suppose you think it's going to last for a week, uh, two weeks. 
uh, we were clothes had to be sorted, so three times a week, uh, drove up, go through t- two checkpoints on the way up, and you'd say you're going to the hospital and you're asked the purpose of your visit. That was probably one of the hardest questions because it wasn't a visit. You took up clothes. You hoped when you arrived up that the person that came down with his clothes that was a face you recognized and you'd ask him, how is he? Sometimes that person would know him and would give you uh, information. Sometimes the the, the nurse, um, the, the stroke nurse would come down, which was like a, a face that we were so delighted to see. And she would take us aside at the reception area in the hospital and would give us, uh, tell us how he was improving. So, uh, and this went on, and uh, I suppose it, we were counting the days. It went on seven days, 14 days, 21 days, and then it was a month, and then it was two months, and it, it just went on and on, and we never, we never saw him again uh, in CUH. Uh, he was, because of his paralysis and because of his right side, it was very difficult for him to use a phone occasionally, which was great. Um, the staff would help him to sw- uh, connect with uh, Skype. He was unable to uh, use the phone himself because of one hand, he wouldn't be able to uh, swipe the phone to answer. So um, it was just uh, a nightmare for us. And I can't imagine what it was like for Jimmy. He had started his recovery on the 5th of March. His daughter walked out that night and he never saw a, a familiar face from the 5th of March. The staff that we saw there were absolutely wonderful. Uh, but they were all strangers to him. He didn't know where he was. He he didn't know any of these people. And I can I'm only doing I can only imagine what it was like for him saying, Where are my family? Fifth of March, your daughter left the hospital. When was the next time that Jimmy got to meet a member of his family, you or your children? Uh, he was transferred on the 25th of May to the stroke unit in uh, St. Finbar's Hospital. The plus side of St. Finbar's Hospital was that it was on the ground floor and they told us we could go around the window and look in the window. So on the 25th of May was the, Jimmy's first sight of us was through a window uh, at that stage, we weren't high enough because it was quite a high window. And uh, I often wonder, uh, because he had a brain, a stroke is a brain injury. It's an attack of the brain, like you get a heart attack if it's in your heart. He got a stroke, which is an attack on the brain. And his first time was seeing probably the top of my head uh, at the window in the stroke unit. From then on, we had to get small steps that you could go up two steps. A small ladder, was it? Yeah, that uh, just to get up to the height of the window. We brought that from home after that. 
we were very lucky that the weather was fine most of the time. Sometimes you'd have to bring a raincoat and an umbrella. How long would you stay outside the window looking in at Jimmy and what was his reaction like the first time he saw you? I suppose there was delight and I presume confusion also because I, like, how do you figure out these people? They're outside the window. He had difficulty speaking, so he wouldn't be able to, he wasn't able to communicate to us he would have difficulty in understanding. And uh, no, it was explained to him, but he wasn't aware that there was this virus. So he would have had no concept of what was happening outside. We weren't restricted a lot, but we obviously for his own, uh, for his rehabilitation, which involves uh, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, speech therapy, all of this, he was in more in a school environment at this stage learning. So there was no restriction on the amount of time we could spend outside the window, but because of his health, uh, 20 minutes with one person would be enough because he would get exhausted. He he wasn't fit for that kind of uh, visits as such. For how many weeks did you have to look in the window? We went you... further. We went to further five weeks after that when the visits were through the window. So and, it was 16 uh, weeks before you got bedside with Jimmy, was it? When was that? We never, we never got bedside with Jimmy while he was in hospital because... Um, but just to uh, clarify, no member of the family, including yourself, got to meet Jimmy during the period of time from the 5th of March to when he was discharged last week. There was two of us, um, myself and my daughter, because it was coming up to the stage that he was being discharged and talking to the stroke nurse. Uh, uh, they always had a procedure in place when a stroke patient was going home that uh, a family member would come in and do training in order to be able to manage him when he came home. Uh, and I was uh, in our situation, I was saying that this, my husband was coming home, uh, a total different person. Even if somebody is out of the house for a week and they come back, it's a change. He was now out of his home for almost uh, seven months. So when it came up to uh, talking about discharge, which was roughly five months at that stage, they said they would try and start the training um, in order that I could come in and one other member could come in and do training and that's when we went in and we would So can you tell me when when did that happen Mary? That ha- uh, the sec uh, the beginning of July. And when was he released from hospital then? He was on the 15th of September. What I felt that Jimmy needed for his recovery because when a person has a stroke seemingly all the recovery is at the start. So what I felt he needed a face he needed to be able to, even with a mask, at least he would recognize eyes, that he was reassured that we were there. And it, it needed, I felt that he needed the security in order that he could progress in his recovery, that he needed a face that could just encourage him or that to let, him, let him know that we were there. Uh, how is Jimmy now? Because you said he returned home on the 15th of September. <laughs> It's a new norm. We, uh, we will have to make it uh, a new norm for us uh, where we have to learn, we have to get used to being with one another again. 
uh, they, there's a healthcare package put together, which is uh, we couldn't manage without it. Uh, so the help we got is incredible. I have absolutely no fault to find with any part of the care that he got and his discharge home. It was all done uh, as seamlessly and as helpful as possible. We're just starting. It's all new to us. He is in, he is in good form. But he has all of these disabilities that he has to learn to live at home with now. So it's where I'm just we're at stage one of being at home. Why you're talking to me today is that you want to raise the issue because you don't want to see any other stroke patient going through what Jimmy and your family had to go through in terms of visitation. Yes, uh, I I have been reading. Uh, about strokes since, and 10,000 people get strokes in Ireland each year, and 2,000 people die of strokes each year. But the category that Jimmy comes under is 1% of these people that have a devastating stroke. A lot of people make a quick recovery if that reverse procedure had worked. Uh, a lot of people have just uh, a, a mild stroke where the, with rehabilitation, they make a very quick recovery. But Jimmy's stroke is just 1% and a lot of people that are in that category die so that it's even less than 1% of the stroke patients. And what I want for uh, him or for anyone else that's in that situation because we have to live with the virus and going forward... There are people that are going to have a devastating stroke inside in hospital. And I want the people that make the decisions to allow that for the the stroke patient's recovery, the devastating stroke patient's recovery, that when he opens his eyes, that he sees a familiar face. I'm prepared, or I'm sure every mem- a member of any stroke patient family are prepared to go on up, uh, get their temperature taken. If it was to just go in for 15 minutes every day would be brilliant but even if it was every second day it would have, it, it could be self-policing because you're totally responsible when you're in this situation. If you're allowed in you could set your watch and uh, your phone that you must leave after 15 minutes but at that stage you can ensure that the the bottle of coke that was in the sunshine can be moved and taken away and a fresh bottle of coke put there that his phone is in the position that he can reach it the staff do this but at times they're not aware that it's just a half inch too far away from him so mary just to be clear what you're calling for then what exactly is it that a nominated member of the family would be would be allowed in similar to where it, it's important to have that member of the family be there for his recovery as uh, the nurse, the physio, the occupational therapy, therapist, uh, the people that bring the catering, the everybody have a, a role to play in the recovery. 
So the, the family the member would be part of the recovery plan for the patient? Yeah, because uh, in the reading material we get, there's a whole list of people that are involved in the stroke team for the recovery. And they say a member of the family is a part of that team and is very important. But when the shutdown came, that member of family was excluded and it, it was so important for the recovery that that family member should be allowed in. But do you accept that within the context of a virus like COVID-19 being at elevated levels that restrictions need to come into place and that if family members are coming in, even if their temperatures are taken or if they're kitted out in PPE, that there are maybe risks being introduced to the hospital or recovery setting, not just for the patients there, but also staff I suppose that's where a balance needs to come in uh, because of this patient needs to recover and uh, because uh, the brain is at its best in recovery from the minute they get the stroke after that they're in recovery and they need they need a family member to just help them to recover and that's uh, it's a central part of his recovery that that family member gets in to reassure the patient because when he comes out of the stroke, he is in this foreign country. He doesn't know why there's no one there that he recognises. He'd have absolutely no idea why he's inside in bed, why he can't move, why the words are juggled up in his head. He doesn't recognise anyone Uh, Every person is coming along, they will say their name. He doesn't know who these people are. And he needs somebody that he can latch onto. Kian, you can tell by the emotion there in Mary McCarthy's voice that it was a very tough situation for Jimmy and for the whole family. But they did also seem to be aware that COVID-19 guidelines need to be met to ensure the safety of the wider hospital population. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Mary McCarthy would say one of the high points, if you could call it that, or if there was one from their experience, was how professional and kind staff were at both hospitals. Actually, after we recorded that interview, Mary sent me a text just to emphasise that point. She said in the text that while staff needed to adhere to COVID-19 guidelines, they showed humanity and got Jimmy through his time in hospital. You can also hear a clearly in the conversation with Mary that she doesn't have any issue with the care that Jimmy received and she's very happy with his treatment in both hospitals but her big concern is about isolation the isolation of stroke patients especially those with devastating brain injury and she's concerned really about the potential isolation of those patients in hospital if there were to be other severe Uh, visitor restrictions put back into place because of COVID-19 and I'll add to that that Mary and the McCarthys understand completely the need for COVID-19 restrictions and I think you probably heard that clearly in our conversation there. Definitely you did but so the family do understand but they want a bit more flexibility for stroke victims who can't communicate for themselves and you can totally understand why they would be saying that. They say that one nominated family member should be part of a stroke patient's recovery plan, especially in the case of a stroke resulting in devastating brain injury, such as the one her husband Jimmy had. 
Yeah, that's right, Lisa. And the important part here is that Mary wants this addressed at a national level because she fears, as we've been saying already, that if there was to be another visitor lockdown in hospitals, that families of patients at those hospitals, that you know, they wouldn't be able to visit and there could be maybe patients there in isolation or, you know, suffering from that isolation like they did during the first few months of the pandemic. So, Kian, that's one story and it's a devastating story. But does it reflect the wider picture? It appears to reflect it. And of course, all you have to do is cast your mind back to a few weeks ago when Joe Duffy's live line was absolutely jammers with calls about hospitals and restricted visiting. But also on top of that, the Irish Heart Foundation says the McCarthy story is one of many stories that they've heard recently and throughout the pandemic of this type. I spoke to Tracy Egan, the patient support manager with the Irish Heart Foundation about that. Here's the conversation that we had? Unfortunately, we have um, through our nurse support line, we have come across a number of people who have had that experience where they've had a loved one who've had who has had a serious stroke and where they have been unable to visit them or unable to visit them, you know, as much as they would wish to. Um, It's a very difficult uh, situation. I know hospitals are doing their best with infection control, um, but it's it's having a huge impact on the the person who's had the stroke and their families. What what is that impact? I mean, sometimes it can be really be beneficial to a person's recovery to actually have their their family with them in the hospital. Then there may be some people who are so disabled by the stroke, um, maybe they can't speak and they really need somebody to be able to advocate for them. And uh, under normal circumstances, that would be a family member. What needs to be done? Um, Look, we understand that hospitals have to have these restrictions in place. Infection control is paramount at the moment to protect patients and to prevent COVID outbreaks. What we are hoping is that you know, hospitals can take a humane approach to people who are long term patients, inpatients. And, you know, we'd specifically ask if there's a case where the welfare of a patient and their chance of recovery can be assisted by a visit from a family member, that they might examine what can be done within the rules uh, to facilitate a visit, Um, you know, just to be pragmatic about the whole thing and to do everything that's possible um, to help a person's recovery. So that was the Irish Heart Foundation's Tracy Egan there. Kian, you also spoke to Cree, that's the Heart Disease and Stroke Charity. Its CEO, Neil Johnson, says blanket visitor restrictions need to be revisited. But as you found out, this isn't just a story that he was hearing about from patients' families. It was something that he himself has experienced. Yeah, absolutely did experience it himself, because when I contacted Neil Johnson, I expected to hear more about people contacting Cree in relation to visiting restrictions in Irish hospitals. But he had an experience himself. His experience mirrored what the McCarty's went through because he wasn't able to visit his own mother for weeks when she was admitted at the start of the pandemic. Well, ironically, um, not not only from the perspective of a, a patient organisation, but at a, at a personal level, I can identify with this particular situation. Uh, my own mother being uh, confined in hospital for about 14 weeks around the same time. Being in hospital subsequent to a stroke is obviously uh, hugely traumatic and uh, prolonged isolation in stroke recovery is not good. Um, so anything that can alleviate the psychological or emotional trauma 
um, i.e. having access to a loved one at this critical time is very important. Uh, Having said that, in the context of COVID, um, the risk to health and life uh, of the patient, uh, the healthcare team, um, other patients is paramount. Uh, But I think the blanket restrictions that were in place in the early stages of COVID uh, now need uh, to be reviewed. Uh, Now now we know more um, uh, what what we're dealing with. Um, And so the one-size-fits-all model, I think, um, needs to be uh, re-looked at. And not in the context of providing, uh, you know, casual or everyday access, but in situations where you know, a clinician uh, can make uh, a clinical judgment on how to apply the guidelines on a case-by-case basis, I think this is to be encouraged. But is the reality that the individual hospitals will make that call anyway now? It seems to be that at individual hospitals are making that call, and it seems to be that the original uh, blanket um, restrictions are applying. Um, and, and that's why I think there are cases like the one you've described um, which are obviously extremely difficult um, occurring. Going back to your personal situation where we started this conversation, your own mother was admitted into hospital at around the same time as Jimmy McCarthy. I think that was towards the end of February. You didn't see her for a long period of time. What happened? 14 weeks. Um, at that time, the blanket ban was in place. Um, she was uh, quite ill, in fact, very ill. Um, it was very difficult. And uh, in my case, uh, we were uh, 14 weeks uh, not able to visit our mother. Um, she was uh, seriously ill. And, um, you know, even making phone contact was uh, quite difficult uh, because she didn't have the capacity or capability to, to, to even answer a mobile phone. Um, at that particular time, this restriction was rigidly adhered to um, by um, the hospital. Um, which is understandable. It is very, it is very difficult. It's very difficult then also when you know that um, you know somebody uh, close to you uh, is is feeling the the pain of isolation and um, and sometimes perhaps doesn't have the cognitive capacity to understand um, you know why why you're not visiting. Um, but I think the key thing here is we're not looking for uh, you know. Um, uh, the opportunity to just pop in any time you like or to just pop in for afternoon tea. You're talking about um, an occasional visit when uh, the clinic and opinion would be that, you know, having um, a visit, a short visit maybe, uh, would be beneficial to the recovery process. So that was Neil Johnson and he's CEO of the Heart Disease and Stroke Charity Cree, speaking to you there, Kian. So Kian, who has overall responsibility for visiting restrictions? Well, we saw earlier this year the hospital restrictions for COVID-19 were made nationally. But the HSE explained in a statement when I was doing this story for Morning Ireland that visiting restrictions are agreed locally and that all hospitals have visiting arrangements that take account of visiting on compassionate grounds and other needs such as children in hospital. 
In relation to residential care facilities, the HSE said in that statement, the government's recent plan sets out the approach to visiting across the five-level framework. Guidance exists for residential care facilities on hpsc.ie, that's a website, which is being reviewed to take on board the government plan's approach. Apart from the HSE, within the health service, there is a view that There can't be a one-size-fits-all solution for hospital visits. And I spoke to Professor Ronan Collins, consultant physician in geriatric and stroke medicine at Tala University Hospital. I think it's very important that anybody who's very unwell uh, has access to um, appropriate psychological support and the love of their families, uh, no matter what illness they may be suffering from. Um, And of course, that must always be um, pragmatically balanced at all times in the hospital with regard to the activity of the hospital and ongoing infection risks that may be a two-way, either from the hospital going out or from the community coming in. But of course, it's particularly uh, relevant in the current um, situation where you have a pandemic. There's no doubt, as I said, no matter what illness or severity of illness a person um, may be experiencing, that the love and support of family members is an important part in the recovery process. I suppose with regard to stroke in particular, and that's my own area, but also into with regard to age-related healthcare medicine, um, there are a number of scenarios where clearly it's important um, that patients have access um, to their loved ones and family support. Number one, for just the psychological support and show of love that people benefit from during illness. Also, that um, family members may be actually important advocates and in many cases may have um, you know, legal rights in that regard um, in terms of carers or appointed attorneys where someone may have lost cognitive processes. And so communication with family members is Number one, important for the patients themselves and also from our own unit's perspective, welcome. If COVID-19 numbers were to go up, but in the case of restrictions and guidelines, what is the trick here? What do you need to consider? Should they be reviewed to take into account what we're talking about? Well, I would say in general terms, prior to this pandemic, we probably had an overly open uh, access to our hospitals. The second thing, of course, is that there is always an infectious risk, both from within the hospital going out and from the community coming in, uh, depending what community illnesses may be prevalent at the time. That risk, of course, is accentuated during a pandemic period. Um, For example, visiting patients on a COVID ward uh, could bring the infection back out into communities or it could be coming in from clusters with visits. So clearly there needs to be restrictions with regard to hospital visits. And in general, it's probably true to say across all our hospital sector, we are discouraging visitations currently. That being said, however, the hospitals and the units and the people looking after patients uh, are keenly aware of the importance of family members as a support, as a source of support, and their part in the recovery of patients from illnesses. And so we have been trying to pragmatically interpret the guidelines 
Number one, by facilitating regular communication or more regular communication by phone than we might have been doing previously, facilitating kind of FaceTime visits, either through WhatsApp or FaceTime using uh, the digital technology available to us, but also as well being compassionate and pragmatic and allowing in exceptional clinical circumstances, particularly where people are critically unwell, where people are very distressed or where people are near end of life, that facilitating visits in close cooperation with infection control and our clinical nurse managers on the ward. But does this need to be a pragmatic approach at local level in each individual hospital or should the guidelines be reviewed by the HSE going forward? Well, I think... I think you will always find that some of the hospitals are different as well in terms of, for example, some of the hospitals would have children's hospitals on campus. and um, Most of our acute hospitals don't. Uh, some of our hospitals have maternity units on the campus and some of them have don't. So I th- And then the infrastructure of the hospitals and the amount of isolation rooms and the nature of the units um, in terms of proximity, for example, to units where people may be immunosuppressed and cancer wards, all those factors um, impact on the day-to-day decision-making. So I think having a blanket guideline with a restriction is very difficult to implement. I think the message is out there that we're trying to, to discourage visitations wherever possible. We're trying to use other means other than physical visitation. But in, as I said, in clinical circumstances where it is necessary, and that has to be left to a degree up to the clinical nurse manager and the senior clinician in charge in cooperation with the hospital management and infection control to allowing um, appropriately, um, um, if you like, appropriately arranged visitations between family members and their sick loved ones. And that's the pr- pragmatic approach you've taken yourself at your stroke unit at Tala. Yes, both on our age-related healthcare wards and stroke units, we are trying, as I said, we're using very regular communication with families. We're trying to use FaceTime and iPads and our own iPhones at times as well to make contact between patients and their family members. And certainly at End of Life Care, we're not leaving any of our patients die alone. So that's Professor Ronan Collins. He's consultant physician in geriatric and stroke medicine at Tala University Hospital. Kian, finally... The part of the HSE responsible for St. Finbar's Hospital in Cork provided you with a statement. Yes, Lisa, the HSE's Cork Kerry Community Healthcare, of which St. Finbar's Hospital is part, provided a statement which read... We entirely empathise with patients, residents and their loved ones who cannot see each other due to any visitor restrictions which are needed for COVID-19. Any visitor restrictions, while difficult, are necessary to keep our residents, patients and staff safe. Every effort is made to assist patients and residents to keep in touch during this difficult time, including the use of technology. Well, that that pretty clearly lays out the dilemma that they are in, that everybody would want to be able to allow families to see their loved ones in hospitals. But when you're when you're dealing with the covid pandemic, uh, clearly other restrictions are needed. Yeah, and I think that's a point that you hear right throughout this podcast uh, from the different contributors and especially the McCarthy family is that there's a realisation that when the restrictions come in place in terms of COVID-19 and hospitals or when they were in place that there was a realisation that they were in place for the safety of staff, of family, of the patients themselves in the various hospitals. So 
in a sense, there was never an issue for the McCarthy's in terms of looking in that window because they saw it as an opportunity to see their loved one. But the difficulty really is that they don't want this to happen going forward and they want those visitor restriction guidelines to be revisited at a national level. Absolutely. And clearly there are others out there in the same situation. In fact, we got a letter after your piece went out on Morning Ireland uh, from a listener saying that visitor restrictions really do need to be looked at when um, when families have a loved one in the hospital and potentially even in an end of life situation. There needs to be some kind of accommodation made for those families. So, Kian, thank you for this report and thank you for bringing us the story of Mary McCarthy and her husband, Jimmy and also the commentary from the other expert you spoke to. Thank you, Kian McCormick. Thank you. You've been listening to Morning Ireland Extra. It's a podcast where we go deeper into some of the stories you may have heard on our daily radio programme. You can find that programme, Morning Ireland, on RTE Radio 1, on the RTE Radio Player and on the RTE News Now app. I'm Lisa Pereira. Thanks for listening.